Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to STEM Unplugged, a monthly podcast designed to help you learn about STEM initiatives and advance STEM awareness. I'm your host of the show, Kelly Green, the Chief Operations Officer of SciTech Institute, a collaborative nonprofit organization making STEM connections in Arizona and beyond. In the studio tonight, I have my co-host, Arizona Chief Science Officer, Shalai. Hello, everyone. And in this episode of STEM Unplugged, we will be exploring sustainability initiatives. Our guests are Dory Morales, the publisher of Green Living Magazine, and Tom Mellert, the Executive Director at AZ Strut. Thanks for joining us for STEM Unplugged. So, Dory, let's start with you. We'd love for you to tell us a little bit about Green Living Magazine. We know it's the premier Arizona eco-conscious lifestyle magazine centered on daily life and the way individuals can express themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about your role and the magazine's goals? Definitely. First and foremost, I'm so thankful and grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. And so Green Living Magazine, we've been around for 10 years, and we just recently rebranded the magazine. So we have a new website, a new look, and new logo. So that's been really exciting. And I am currently the publisher of the magazine, and I've got an amazing team, an editor-in-chief, assistant editor, social media, and great salespeople. And so we're just really looking at building the magazine this year and getting more uh, larger audience than just Arizona. Yeah, we recently rebranded ourselves. We went from the Arizona Technology Council Foundation, which was a mouthful, <laughs> to SciTech Institute ourselves. So what was the driving force for the new name, the new the new look? 10 years. Yeah, that's so, exciting. Yeah, wanted to do um, really to celebrate, um, you know, with COVID, things were different. We wanted to do a big event and things like that. But we're celebrating every month since September with different different um, campaigns and social media. Um, we did a big Instagram 10-year, 10, 10 covers. That's cool. Yeah, we are, we're actually headed into the 10th season of the Arizona SciTech Festival. So we're right there with you. So congratulations. What about you, Tom? Can you tell us a little bit about AZ Strut? We know it's focused on improving competitiveness of Arizona's technical workforce, but how are you doing that? What's going on at AZ Strut? So AZ Strut, um, I got to do the long name because... It's Arizona students recycling used technology. And so now you know why it's easy strut. Right. <laughs> and we're not the first strut. Intel and Motorola started us up about 22 years ago, but they started Oregon and Silicon Valley, all the places where Intel was. Right. So that's why we became Arizona strut. And so we represent the state. In these 22 years that we've been around, we've uh, distributed about 70,000 computers out to Arizona schools, nonprofits, Title I students in a number of different ways. And we do it by collecting used electronics and then refurbishing and finding another life uh, in those. And typically the way that we do that is with students learning uh, computer skills, doing the refurbishing in partnership, working on computers that are donated uh, so they don't have... Uh, a big phobia about working on a brand new computer that the schools may have bought for them in the lab. They can, they can give them a little more free reign to be. Yeah. I don't want to break that. Right. Right, Exactly. <laughs> Which also then loosens up the teachers. And I, we think it provides a, a much better kinesthetic uh, learning environment for that. But uh, so that's, that's what we do. We take used uh, electronics, refurbish it and get it back out. And of which there's been an incredible demand with the pandemic um, oh, I of imagine, the last yeah since the middle of March or whatever. 
Yeah. So obviously the theme of our show is, you know, exploring sustainability initiatives. And Shalay, I know that there's a lot going on, not only in the CSO program, but, you know, SciTech Institute, we're focusing on, you know, November 15th, National Recycling Day, really celebrating the month. So what kind of uh, goals, right, around sustainability and these initiatives that you have, what are you featuring in the magazine, for example, that really connect to the public? What can they do to be a better recycler? So one thing, um, the cover of the November issue or the October issue is the star of the Twilight series. And she actually started making gold jewelry from the gold in Dell computers. So that's pretty fun. That is super cool. And um, November 15th is America Recycles Day. And so we normally partner with the City of Phoenix and the Public Works Department and the Green Business Leaders and kind of promote um, people that are doing great things as Green Business Leaders. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. I Kelly mentioned, you know, like the monthly themes. I know that you guys have been doing something at Green Living with those monthly themes, and we've been doing something similar um, in the CSO program with our CSOs. We utilize Google um, Google tools a lot, you know, Google Drive, Google Classroom. And so uh, every month we've been challenging them uh, with a new theme. And as Kelly mentioned, this month's theme is sustainability. And so we've uh, been uploading some sustainability resources on there, uh, some lots of different things that they can just look at to feel more immersed in the in the topic itself. And so uh, on the, on that topic of students, I was wondering, you know, in terms of education, uh, what are some of the outreach programs that you both have? So the outreach. So, oh, that's a good question. When with Arizona Strut, what we're trying to do is reuse as many computers as we can and and in that, there's a lot of Arizona schools and nonprofits that know about us, and they'll ask, you know, they'll get computers from us one year, and then three years later, they're going to need some more. So in that area of outreach, we're, you know, we just keep doing the same, and we spread kind of by word of mouth. I do, a year ago, back when life was much more normal, we went to a Arizona Rural School Association conference in Flagstaff because one of the things we were trying to do is kind of reach out to rural Arizona. We're, we're Arizona strut. We're not Valley of the Sun strut. And, and so we were trying to reach out to some of the smaller schools. And in that, we made some in contacts. And I was, you know, due to the pandemic, it was surprising how, how I don't know, how quickly they turned into being big impact for us in the last year, in that a lot of rural schools that, let's say a K through eight, with 200 students that had 10 to 20 computers for administrative use only, all of a sudden needed to get computers for 200 students to do some kind of online uh, education and do it without the benefit of a $60,000 budget line right. item that they planned a couple years out. And so I, I bet there's five to 10 of those school districts that if they could cover the cost of our refurbishing fee, which is only $25 a unit. So for three, $4,000, a school district then could get laptops for all their schools and their students and, and get them in place in a couple of months. That's what we're doing on outreach and, and doing it for uh, many of the small rural school districts around the state. And, and so it was a way that um, 
I'm very grateful that we were able to uh, be able to to address those needs. But in outreach, I think in the past year, doing more for the uh, the rural school districts is probably what uh, has probably been one of the more effective things that we've done recently. I think that's pretty incredible because, you know, I, in spite of the, you know, craziness of the pandemic, it's really talk, brought a lot of people talking about equity and access, right? So broadband availability, connecting to, you know, Wi-Fi, having devices, it really does speak to leveling the playing field for all students. So the fact that you're able to get into the rural areas and really help, you know, just outfit them with devices, I think that's really impressive and really important. So how do you get connected? How do you stay connected to those schools? Are you looking to make more connections? Well, again, it's word of mouth. When when a superintendent, a county superintendent, we've got 50, 15 of them in the state, when they learn about us and then one school learns that, hey, you know, here's a solution that if you're in a bind, they call the other principal of another school district. So then they start calling. And so that's really how it came. Uh, it was it was really intimidating to us in April when all of a sudden we have like 30 <laughs> requests for, you know, two, 300 computers and we're sitting on maybe 800. So it was, uh, it's been a little daunting, but that is how the, that kind of gets out. They, they're talking to each other a great deal. And then when they, they learn of that and, and see how we can uh, help them out of the spine, then that's where it, it is. I mean, so I'm not sure if we discuss it. So how do you get the computers to refurbish? Where do those come from? We receive donated equipment, electronics. We take all electronics, old or new, uh, working or not. So we even take like home electronics and stereos, um, LCD monitors. The only thing we have challenge with our CRT monitor, the big old TVs or plasma TVs. Those we have to charge for. Everything else we accept just as is. Mm -hmm. And in that, and the reason we've been doing this for 22 years is the people don't have to worry about, is this something a school can use or not? Right. And so if we get a ton of electronics, we're going to turn that into $1,200 worth of refurbished equipment to get to a school, a nonprofit, a Title I student, their family. We're also going to generate about $200 out of that one ton to cover our operating costs. So what that does is out of 425 tons, we generate about half a million dollars worth of equipment that we donate out, distribute out, and then it generates about $200,000 worth of revenue that we buy the truck, we have salaries, we pay rent, those types of items. And the fact that we've been doing it so long, we're, we're very grateful that uh, a lot of companies know about us. So we get corporate donations are the best. Yeah. Um, but we do take from the entire public. So and one of the best things about the pandemic is one of our partners is you can drop off at uh, Batteries Plus bulb stores in the Valley. So there's about 12 that you can drop off and there's a bin. So it's very uh, contactless. They can just go in the store, drop it in a bin, take a donation receipt if they want, and they go on their way. And then we have these carts. And what we do is on about a weekly basis, go out, grab the filled one up, take an empty one out, and then we bring it back to our place. At the time of pandemic, there was a big concern, and we even did a 72-hour quarantine on the equipment because in March, it's like, well, is the virus on the equipment or not? Right. So to protect our uh, our employees or students or any of that, we were sitting on it for 72 hours. So we put a date on it, set it alongside, and then we'd wait 72 hours before then we would start processing that equipment. But um, I kind of fell off the... <laughs> the no, I think that's incredible. fell off the direction, but... 
So we take all that equipment in, and then when, when we get a computer in, we determine, uh, based on the processor, is it 32-bit, 64-bit? Uh, in other words, is it Core 2 and I3 and I5? First, <laughs> You're speaking gen. French almost, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like another language, Tom. I know. I'm we're sorry. not. Um, we're not <laughs> so we're talking here. laptops? Yeah. Or we're talking like towers? Are we talking <laughs> tablets? PCs? What in the world is he uh, talking about? All of the above. All of that. <laughs> so all of it. IPads, you will take all IPads, of it and make Androids, it work. Androids, yeah. Oh, cool. And then Apples, Macs. Exactly. <laughs> Samsung tablets. <laughs> And then the first thing that we do is we have a staff that's going to uh, do a system reset or we're going to wipe the hard drive. So that's always the thing is, well, what's going to happen to information? Right. So again, we have a staff wipe the hard drive before students start working on it. A lot of times we pull the hard drive. So that's another key factor that are, that's the next question everybody has. So I'm trying to answer the question before No, that's a good, That's a great point because I was going to ask that. <laughs> and that's of like, well, so if I have an old laptop that I... You know, either I broke the screen or it won't turn on right. anymore. Then what do I do with it? And that I think that's a valid question. So if people are listening, now they know. Take right. it to Batteries Plus, drop it in the donation bin, and ta-da. So we have some people that are really concerned about the stuff on the computer. I mean, they're they're I mean, everybody should be concerned. Right. And Absolutely. then there's a trust level. Now we benefit from being around 22 years. So if companies are willing to do this, then well, okay, it's it's okay with me. But if you're really concerned about it, you can drop off at our Mesa location. Now, the hours are very restricted. It's only 9 to 1 on Tuesdays during this pandemic. But our staff will take it and then take it into the cage where we're then going to do the wiping. And we've got security staff to do that. But then you can see it go right in the cage and be locked up. Otherwise, there is a bit of a, I am not, I can't take responsibility from the time it's dropped off of Batteries Plus till we receive it. Right. But I do trust that relationship. We've had it for 10 years and it's working well. We don't, we don't know of any security breach of that. And I'm certain I would if there was one. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. I think that's the point of the, you know, being on air tonight is really letting people know how do we recycle our old laptop? You know, the, there's that question of, oh, I took out the battery, but what do I do with it next? You right. know, or, oh, how do I, I don't even know how to take out the hard drive or wipe it clean. So, um, and so we take valid. them in any condition because then we'll get 10 of those laptops. And if one's got a bad screen and one's got a bad keyboard, then we swap yeah. and use the other's cadavers to optimize how many we can get refurbished out. That's incredible. So, yeah, I think, I mean, Dory, do you have any donations? Maybe we should run an ad in the magazine and say, <laughs> donate your laptops. Yeah, AZ Strat, you're looking um, to recycle your electronics, which I think is so important. And I don't think a lot of people know that. Right. When we're grateful for Green Living because we've done a number of collection events over the years and, and they've often featured some of the events that we've done. Uh, similar to why we're here with America Recycles Day, but uh, Earth Day over the years, we've uh, we're grateful for the the press they've given us over the time. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's important too to think about how do you get the word out, right? So Chalet's here representing Student Voice. You know, we're here at nonprofit. The, I think the important piece of bringing us together is really to showcase to our listeners that all of us can do something. And so if we do know what we want to celebrate and we send it over to Dory and you get it into the magazine and then the readers are listening or the readers are reading, but then maybe Chalet is promoting your magazine. And how do we 
how can we help Green Living Magazine get into the hands of new readers? I know, Chalet, what you said earlier, you're not really a magazine reader. So how do we get you to become a reader of a publication like Green Living Magazine? Yeah, I think that really just, you know, including stuff that is directed towards that youth going into the schools. I know that since elementary school, uh, you know, we've had people come in um, and they talk about reduce, reuse, recycle, you know, uh, how to conserve water, the little water droplet man. I've seen that in lots of pamphlets handed out to us. Um, But I know that a lot of those are targeted more towards that elementary school audience. And, you know, they're still giving those same um, pamphlets to the the high school students when I'm sure they would much rather be reading something more uh, high level, you know, like the Green Living magazine. Do you have any sustainability clubs at your school? We do not. No, I know that uh, lots of schools have been starting up recycling programs. I know that our CSOs have actually been doing that at a couple of their schools, but uh, not at our school. We don't. Well, that may be an initiative that you and I could work on together. I would love to talk to you about that because it is one of my goals for this year is to get more youth involved in the magazine. That's great. Definitely. And then to answer your question from before with um, what can you do to get into sustainability, we've taken an initiative with the Fresh Food Collab because when COVID hit, we wanted to find out a way of how to get food to those in need. So as of um, March, we've donated over 250,000 pounds of food to those wow. in need. That's amazing. And it's food education, food insecurity, and how to grow your own food are the three pillars. And if we can get the youth involved, and we've had kids from like three to four years to grade school to high school students and college students really get involved and get that food out to different, the Levine School District, Avondale, and um, I can't think of that third, and then churches and Adagabi Farms. And so I co-founded the Fresh Food Collab. That's awesome. I think, is that the, what is UFE? We are UFE. Yes. Yes. I was like, wait a minute. I think I know this because I was actually talking to, we were talking about how to have kind of action plans that students could implement. And then we are UFE. We were talking about getting garden started and having the fresh food collab, like really talk about the education of the students. Like you said, those kindergartners can, Mm. they understand like, oh no, this is a fresh tomato. I Mm. just picked it off the vine. That's pretty powerful. So, you know, I think that could be another way to get students even reading the magazine. Imagine being, you know, featured of what you're doing in your community to be eco-friendly, eco-conscious. So We could even talk about a science project that we could do some sort of competition and we can highlight different students from your school or a couple different you know, East Valley schools or whatever really makes sense. Yeah, we have students, what, nine cabinets here in Arizona. So we're talking down in Cochise County. So we could cover, like you're talking about, for AZ Strut, right, those rural communities and also the urban. So I really would like to see some urban farming initiatives and, you know, really working with the schools that we're connected with too. So I think there would be so much student interest in that. I know at my, um, my little sister's elementary school, they have a garden there. And we go out as a family on Sundays every now and then and we, we clean it up, you know, and there's just so much student engagement. I know that my sis, little sister loves uh, harvesting the plants and just learning about everything that goes on in a garden. That's one of her favorite things about school. Uh, and so I think that students would absolutely love that. 
Yeah. And the other part of what I'm trying to do and what I'm passionate about is really making the boxes because mm-hmm. we partner with um, St. Mary's Food Bank, but making sure that there's healthy food in them. So bread that's, you know, grown down in Florence and it's no GMOs, so it's completely 100% organic and healthier snacks and things like that. Because in order to get people back to work, we want to make sure that they're eating the right food and have the right mindset. Yeah, that's incredible, especially for an individual. I don't really cook. (laughs) So, you know, the idea of the fresh food boxes, I actually volunteered at a pickup site for one of the St. Mary's drop-offs with the boxes in Tolleson. And the idea that people are so thankful for fresh food and really that sense of community is really important to SciTech Institute is really to get out there and say, you know, like, let's work on this together. So imagine, you know, they're connected through creating the garden, harvesting, and then understanding why is this food healthy? How do you put it together? I'm sure you feature recipes in the magazine as well. Well, we also were, um, I partnered with two chefs, an organic whole food chef and Amici Catering. So they're putting recipes in the food boxes um, based on what food we're getting in. Yeah. If you put like an eggplant in there, I wouldn't know what to do with it. But I don't know. Do you cook, Tom? Are you a cooker? Are you a chef? Yes. I love love grilling veggies as well as, well, you know, the other things with protein. But uh, we, we love, it's, it's ironic, the, the connection between food desert. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, mm-hmm. food deserts. So, so the food deserts, there's also the, the, the locations where we have the, uh, the, the biggest problems with digital inclusion right. uh, and, and the broadband and, and the techs. It's hand in hand. And, and when we hit rural Arizona and we, we go to these small towns that they no longer have fresh food markets, what, what Dory's talking about is, is critical even in those facilities, even if they're in a agricultural uh, community inside that small town, they may not ha- ironically have access to the fruit, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. And, and so I do see that. And I, and I, so I'm not going to bash some of the, the local dollar stores that are there <laughs> hitting some of those small towns. But anyway, I've got uh, a, a great fondness for community gardens. Um, I'm familiar with some of them down in Tucson, et cetera. But uh, what they do is is incredible. And it's, it's hitting that same thousand pounds. That's impressive. That is. That's a lot of food. <laughs> I think we're probably closer to over 300 now. But yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's powerful. And, you know, it was because you decided. So what made you passionate? Is there a reason that, you know, it, what motivated you to you know take those steps to start getting everybody organized? I think it was, we, you know, how can we help people? And, you know, we've got the pandemic of COVID, but how can we be a solution to people that are unemployed? Because we saw the job numbers going up and we've got to be a solution. And also we do videos for anybody who collaborates. And if you wanted to become a collaborator, you answer six questions online and then we'll do a video. And so we could do a video about AZ Strut. And so that way people are getting um, information and education through videos. And eventually we will love to do um, in-person events when time permits. <laughs> right. But now <laughs> we're all online. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, I used to be a classroom teacher and, you know, our school, many students were on free and reduced lunch. But there's a direct correlation and I'm, you know, confident I understand as well as an adult 
if I have eaten a good meal, then I'm going to be stronger throughout the day. And I think there's that direct correlation that, especially screen fatigue, and I'm sure you've heard a little bit of a lot about it at AZ Strut of how, yes, we're putting the devices in the hands of students, but we have to make sure that they're ready and to engage on the devices. But Shalai, I mean, you're you're doing it. You're your high school online. How are things looking? I mean, what's going on in the world of education? It's it's so different. It's crazy. Um, our high school actually recently started uh, in the middle of October. We started a uh, hybrid learning model. So there's students in the class and students online at the same exact time. Um, and some teachers have actually been handling it really well. You know, we I still feel engaged in the class. Um, but I know that also for a lot of students, this whole this whole online thing has kind of given them, you know, an excuse just to slack off almost, you know, they, I know in, in most of my classes, there's only maybe two to three students who have their cameras on out of the 20 kids in a class. Um, and so when you have that camera off, it's just so easy to become, you know, disengaged and you don't really know if the student is even paying attention. Uh, and, uh, it, it really has really has changed the world of education in this in this semester so far. I think it's important to think about that, right? So how do we get back to what is normal in the idea of if you think back 10 years, right? What has changed not only in Arizona, but education, for example, right? So technology has changed the landscape of education, but also in, you know, like you're talking about the food desert and the technology divide. So what can we do as a group? How can we, you know, spread the word, not just tonight on the radio show, but like disposing waste responsibly, right? Has it changed from your perspective? Have you noticed that people are at least more aware of how to, you know, reduce or reuse or, you know, recycle those devices? Or are we still pretty, I don't want to say lazy, but are people more informed? Are you seeing an increase of awareness? And same thing with food waste. Are people more conscious of recycling or reusing and reducing their waste? What are, what are your thoughts about that, Tom? So electronic recycling, you, you look at our name. We created the name 22 years ago. So it's Arizona Recycling. The, the more accurate name for us now would be Arizona reusing technology mm -hmm. because it's really about reusing it, not because technically when I look at recycling, it's end of life, scrapping it out. Right. Now we do some of that, but some of the best for our economy, some of the best for our environment is to extend the life and the use of technology as much as we can. The more we can reuse the technology because there is an environmental cost for manufacturing any device that we use, any device that we buy. And if you look at a smartphone, the good news is when, when we're in a family and somebody buys their, their latest iPhone or Samsung, the good news is the reuse usually goes, it's going to someone else in the family. Right. The other one's going to somebody else and they're going to use it. And eventually the families have gotten rid of their flip phones. Not entirely, but <laughs> anyway. We're getting closer. <laughs> It always makes me does anybody does anybody have a flip phone? Oh, I'm sure. I, there's I think some. there's some diehards. There's really. I, I know some. 
I, know I remember some... my razor. I thought yeah. it was so fancy. Oh my God. What about the Motorola brick phone? Can <laughs> I really age myself? Or the Nokia where I had to pull the little antenna out? All right. Sorry. Go so ahead. So if we Tom. get the brick, I really want it for our museum. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the constant reuse, whether that's, you know, even when I look at the food, um, just what I read in the newspaper, and I, I'm just layman term, it seems like a lot more restaurants are trying to do a lot more to get another, in other words, instead of just throwing their 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 old food in the trash, they're trying to get it to, you know, wherever it is that somebody can use it and consume it rather than it just being thrown away. So I think that, I mean, when I look at something I'm not an expert at, um, I think that our society is doing a better job at that. But along the side of electronics, we always want that latest one. And and one of the things I think we do well is trying to get one more life out of it. If it can't be with an Arizona school or a, or a Title I student and their family, you know, we're looking at iPhone 4 and going, all right, we got to find some other way to get one more life out of this uh, as opposed to just uh, scrapping it out. Uh, and when one of the things that I invite with our schools, one of the programs we're doing educationally is we look at a smartphone and go, how many elements does it take? So there's 25 to 28 elements in a smartphone. The, the four we all know is gold, silver, copper, aluminum, right? And those get reused, recycled. But there are uh, rare earth elements like indium and boron. And you're going, well, what's that? There's, there's a bunch of them. Well, eventually all these rare earth elements are still mined somewhere, but not in the United States. Mm. And so we're relying on outside entities for it. And, and until two weeks ago, Boron was never reused when it was scrapped out of an iPhone or a or an Android. Now you're going, you guys want to know what boron does? What does it do? <laughs> so the good thing is none of our phones are vibrating, but there's two magnets in a in a in a phone that makes it vibrate. Boron is what uh, activates those two magnet magnets to to vibrate. Oh. So but the boron Thank you, boron. <laughs> Yeah, my chemistry teacher would be disappointed in me for not knowing that. <laughs> we, we will not tell them. So one of the thing we're doing is going out to schools and talking about some of these other elements and where they're coming from. And the rare earth elements like boron and indium are coming from outside of our entity. And so all of a sudden we're, li- we're giving up some of our economic strength by constantly buying or manufacturing one brand new more phone. Right. It, again, so if we can reuse that, then we're extending the life. Uh, minimizing the mining, not the mining of Arizona, the great mining state, but of the mining of these entities outside the country where the people are really at risk in that. In other words, it's a it's a human rights concept as well. Yeah. But uh, all right, I fell off. I, I took us down another no, rabbit hole. We love I apologize. It. <laughs> That's why it's a good conversation. <laughs> Hopefully somebody was eavesdropping and wants to know, get to know more about you, Tom. <laughs> Well, in terms of food waste and education, I think there's a lot of opportunity, especially in schools, but in general, just some simple things that I don't think most people think about is compost. Right. You know, just sign up for compost and reuse the fruits and vegetables and you know, make it into mulch and then you can plant it in a garden. And nope, you're beautiful... speaking French again. All right. So start over. <laughs> so when I'm cooking, no, I'm not cooking. When I'm at somebody's home for a meal and I don't finish it. So what? I think that's important, too, because there's a gap between those 22 to 32 year olds as well, thinking about, like, how could I do it at my house as well? How do I become more uh, a part of the community that's doing good for the earth? Right. 
as an individual. And I think you're right when you talk about the family, like, oh, this one's going to be passed down and then it's going to be passed down. And I was that fourth child that's <laughs> like, okay, I got all the hand-me-downs. But the idea of thinking, how do we encourage extending the life, even with the composting, right? And really helping people take it from outside of the school. It's not just for learning in third grade what is a compost pile, but actually using it and being more aware of what we can do as individual citizens as part of communities. But I think that's that's definitely the education piece starting in the schools, but then bringing in that population that's not necessarily talking about it. And I, I do think that that's, you know, myself, like single, live alone. Where am I going to put a compost pile, you know? Well, in our um, in the magazine, um, and we love to partner with different organizations. And I see a partnership starting with you that I'm going <laughs> to talk about in a minute. But which is Tom at Arizona Strat. But there's an ad for Recycled City. So, like for not very much at all, you can sign up and get free compost for two weeks. And then um, you can try it out, but they give a bucket and they come and pick it up at your house and then they use the compost and they um, put it in Southside Communities Gardens, which is completely awesome. And then other things I was going to say, like a lot of times I'm a big citrus lover, but you can take um, your lemons and your grapefruit and you can put them in water and you've got air freshener for your house. Another thing you can do is put it in your vinegar and um, then you can clean your whole house with citrus flavored um, cleaning products that you just made in a jar out of rinds from your lemons and oranges. So just mindset and thinking a little bit differently. Yeah, I would love to see those types of things published, you know, the influencers of the world really focusing on making an actual impact and, you know, what what are we influencing our young students and, you know, our middle-aged, like, it's okay, you can do things that are um, healthy for the earth. So, Shalai, what are some of the things that your family does? Do you have any things at home that you guys participate in besides the the garden with your sister? Yeah, we are very avid recyclers and we uh, did have a big compost bin out in our backyard for a while, actually, um, which I think we, we stopped doing it. I'm not I'm not sure why we stopped, but I think it would be good for us to start up again. I actually have a question. Uh, so 10, 20 years ago, you know, I was not, I was very little. I did not <laughs> exist. And so I'm I'm curious how this, you know, discussion of sustainability has changed in the past um, 10, 15 years. And, and for, you know, students who are going to be working, uh, working on these issues uh, as they join the workforce, you know, how do you think it's going to change in the future? Do you want to take that or you want me to? I, I can talk about this she for a while. Would, when she said, when she said 10 or 20 years ago, I was like, uh, how old are you? 20 years ago, she didn't exist. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I did exist 10 years ago. So yes. With technology, it's it's kind of easy, but it's very dynamic. In other words, things are changing every 18 months, right? right. I mean, we're getting a new phone every month. So one of the things when I talk, and, and if you could, see the color of my hair, you know that I've been doing this for quite some time. It's a couple of years. <laughs> been in technical education for like 30 some years. So in that, even way back then, there was computers. They looked much different and they were very large. But the concept of there was some hardware, there was operating systems. 
There's hardware, there's operating systems. In her phone, there's an operating system. Uh, so the repeating thing is the operating system. One of the key things that I look at is longevity. In other words, you may know the latest iOS on your phone, or you may know of uh, Windows 10, but to learn other operating systems, because whether it's in your car or in your phone or your laptop or your tablet, if it's Samsung, then it's an Android, it's different operating systems. When you understand, for me, a techie, when you start to understand some operating system and you don't need to know them six feet deep, if you know them six inches deep, and then you learn various different operating systems and you get that concept, because the operating systems and the device is always going to change. But if you understand operating systems as a concept and you go, oh, in the iOS, they was doing this and this, it's doing this. But you get that concept, then whatever that device is in six months, 12 months, five years, you've got that kind of a baseline. So you don't feel like you're learning everything brand new all over again. Um, that is what I look at as a key because, you know, I'm excited. I bring up a car. I'm excited about Teslas. Why? Because they have operating systems that they can update through your phone every Saturday. Well, any other of the traditional automakers have operating systems, but you have to pay a mechanic to take care of that operating system. So in technology in our life, I look at that and go, and this is kind of bringing things back to us as uh, individuals that we're going to get empowered. And, and I think that in your life, in that you're going to see that just continue to open up. And so if you look at this as the baseline, I, I think that that's where it makes it easier to put the focus on down the road rather than going, oh, three months, I got this. Another three months, you got this. This way you can kind of step back and go, okay, this is going to be continuous, but it's like, okay, it's not a big change. You're just looking at incremental changes rather than something incredibly big and new like they're always going to say in their ads. I would say when I started um, or when we started the magazine 10 years ago, Green Living, it was not easy. The audience and the population, it was after the housing boom. And so it was um, not an easy time to start a magazine and to be around for 10 years, I think, is is something in itself. But also just with planting a seed in a garden, and you said with your sister and the young people wanting to just connect to gardens and growing their own food, um, food. And I really think planting a seed and connecting with a tree, everybody can connect to that. And I think we're seeing this world that maybe if they don't believe in climate change or something like that, they realize we need trees, we need forests, we need food. And just starting with starting at it from a basic level of that to get to engage them. And from my, you know, 10 years ago perspective, Shalai, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, 20, 30 years ago, it has changed a little bit, right? The advocacy for certain perspectives has really pivoted into the fact that youth do have a voice and you can make a difference in your family household. So the idea that if you are learned something, learning something at school and you go home and you have that voice and you share it with your family and your extended family, you can make that difference. Whereas when I was a child, it was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you heard that in school. <laughs> and even though I grew up in rural Western New York and, you know, we lived on a farm, there were still things we could have done better to recycle. And the idea that that shifted more into students and younger individuals having more influence within the family, within the unit of being able to say, I'd like to recycle because I want to make a difference or I'm not going to use a straw because you feel empowered to make that choice as a child. 
that's probably what I've noticed the most change in my lifetime. And so again, even though we talked about it when I was, you know, a young student, we talked about farming and gardening, the idea that allowing you and asking you what's your opinion has been really powerful, which is why, you know, the chief science officers really do have a place in this conversation. And it's important that you understand you and your peers can, you know, really step up and think about, like you're saying, when you move into the workforce, what can you notice? What will you say? How will you go to work each day and make sure you're making a difference? It's pretty powerful. And hey, I want to challenge you at this corporation. What are we doing to be more sustainable? Can we start a recycling challenge? Can we start conserving water? You know, different things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And in that vein, I think some of the large corporations that I'm familiar with, and of course, if they're working with us, they're going to be very sustainably minded. The trick will be in some of the the smaller businesses getting this concept or the sustainability things that they can do without sacrificing a, a profit. I mean, and doing that in a smaller or mid-range business, I think that's going to be a bigger turning point for your generation when you're coming out into the, the, the workforce. I think it can be done for small and medium-sized businesses, but getting that sustainability concept to them, and they're not going to have the, the payroll in place to like hire somebody. So having that kind of a consultancy, I think is a uh, is going to be a new niche, is a potential good niche. Yeah, I think it's really important that you think about that 10 years ago when you started the magazine. It wasn't it wasn't as well-known, and now it's become more commonly accepted of sustain, the word sustainability itself is used more often. So to our listeners, we encourage you to get involved in the STEM community. Maybe you are an industry professional seeking ways to make an impact, a student searching for a mentor or community collaborator hoping to meet the right people to make it happen. So, Dory, what is one way our listeners can get in contact with you? They can go to our website, greenlivingmag.com, and they can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and um, Twitter. And it's greenlivingaz on all of, um, or all of our handles. Excellent. And Tom, what about AZ Strut? How can they get in contact with you? So on our website, azstrut.org, if it's a large corporation, we schedule pickups uh, there. If you're a school and you need uh, computers, we've got a a tech request there. So azstrut.org is one of the key areas. Uh, Social media, our our best social media outlet is Facebook. Uh, We are on Instagram and the others, but not nearly as strong as we are on Facebook. So those are the... Has nothing to do with your gray hair, right? (laughs) So... I'm leaning on many other people within our organization to assist with the social media. (laughs) Takes a team, right, (laughs) Dory? Everyone can help. And just so you know, I'm the one that asked him, should we we do something on Snapchat? But but no, not yet. (laughs) No, I, I agree. I love it. Well, thank you both for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. It's so important that we are discussing the sustainability initiatives in Arizona. So we appreciate you both for being on the show. And if you'd like any information, you can contact us at SciTechInstitute.org. This is your host, Kelly Green, and we would be glad to discuss how you can get connected. (laughs) 